Chapter 15 of Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Maxwell. Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy by Anonymous. Chapter 15. This man was an Asiatic and a soldier in a colonial regiment. Of a colossal stature, short hair, a nose extremely large, an enormous mouth and dark complexion, he made a most hideous appearance. At first he had placed himself in the middle of the raft, and at each blow of his fist knocked down every one who opposed him. He inspired the greatest terror, and none durst approach him. Had there been six such, our destruction would have been certain. Some men, anxious to prolong their existence, armed and united themselves with those who wished to preserve the raft. Among this number were some subaltern officers and many passengers. The rebels drew their sabers, and those who had none armed themselves with knives. They advanced in a determined manner upon us. We stood on our defense. The attack commenced. Animated by despair, one of them aimed a stroke at an officer. The rebel instantly fell, pierced with wounds. This firmness awed them for an instant, but diminished nothing of their rage. They ceased to advance, and withdrew, presenting to us a front bristling with sabers and bayonets, to the back part of the raft to execute their plan. One of them feigned to rest himself on the small railings on the sides of the raft, and with a knife began cutting the cords. Being told by a servant, one of us sprung upon him. A soldier, wishing to defend him, struck at the officer with his knife, which only pierced his coat. The officer wheeled round, seized his adversary, and threw both him and his comrade into the sea. There had been, as yet, but partial affairs. The combat became general. Someone cried to lower the sail. A crowd of infuriated mortals threw themselves in an instant upon the halyards and the shrouds and cut them. The fall of the mast almost broke the thigh of a captain of infantry, who fell insensible. He was seized by the soldiers, who threw him into the sea. We saved him and placed him on a barrel, whence he was taken by the rebels who wished to put out his eyes with a penknife. Exasperated by so much brutality, we no longer restrained ourselves, but pushed in upon them and charged them with fury. Sword in hand, we traversed the line which the soldiers had formed, and many paid with their lives the errors of their revolt. Various passengers during these cruel moments evinced the greatest courage and coolness. M. Coriad fell into a sort of swoon, but hearing at every instant the cries, To arms! With us, comrades! We are lost! Joined with the groans and imprecations of the wounded and dying, was soon roused from his lethargy. All this horrible tumult speedily made him comprehend how necessary it was to be upon his guard. Armed with his saber, he gathered together some of his workmen on the front of the raft, and there charged them to hurt no one unless they were attacked. He almost always remained with them, and several times they had to defend themselves against the rebels, who, swimming round to that point of the raft, placed M. Corriere in his little troop between two dangers, and made their position very difficult to defend. At every instant he was opposed to men armed with knives, sabers, and bayonets. Many had carabines, which they wielded as clubs. Every effort was made to stop them by holding them off at the point of their swords, but in spite of the repugnance they experienced in fighting with their wretched countrymen, they were compelled to use their arms without mercy. 
Many of the mutineers attacked with fury, and they were obliged to repel them in the same manner. Some of the laborers received severe wounds in this action. Their commander could show a great number received in the different engagements. At last the united efforts prevailed in dispersing this mass who had attacked them with such fury. During this combat, M. Correard was told by one of his workmen who remained faithful that one of their comrades, named Dominique, had gone over to the rebels, and that they had seized and thrown him into the sea. Immediately forgetting the fault and treason of this man, he threw himself in at the place whence the voice of the wretch was heard calling for assistance, seized him by the hair, and had the good fortune to restore him on board. Dominique had got several saber wounds in a charge, one of which had laid open his head. In spite of the darkness, we found out the wound, which seemed very large. One of the workmen gave his handkerchief to bind and stop the blood. Our care recovered the wretch, but when he had collected strength, the ungrateful Dominique, forgetting at once his duty and the signal service which we had rendered him, went and rejoined the rebels. So much baseness and insanity did not go unrevenged, and soon after he found, in a fresh assault, that death from which he was not worthy to be saved, but which he might in all probability have avoided if, true to honor and gratitude, he had remained among us. Just at the moment we finished dressing the wounds of Dominique, another voice was heard. It was that of the unfortunate female who was with us on the raft, and whom the infuriated beings had thrown into the sea, as well as her husband, who had defended her with courage. M. Corriard, in despair at seeing two unfortunates perish, whose pitiful cries, especially the woman's, pierced his heart seized a large rope which he found on the front of the raft, which he fastened round his middle, and throwing himself a second time into the sea, was again so fortunate as to save the woman, who invoked with all her might the assistance of Our Lady of Land. Her husband was rescued at the same time by the head workman, La Vallée. We laid these unfortunate upon the dead bodies, supporting their backs with a barrel. In a short while they recovered their senses. The first thing the woman did was to acquaint herself with the name of the person who saved her, and to express to him her liveliest gratitude. Finding, doubtless, that her words but ill-expressed her feelings, she recollected she had in her pocket a little snuff, and instantly offered it to him. It was all she possessed. Touched with the gift, but unable to use it, M. Corriere gave it to a poor sailor, which served him for three or four days but it is impossible for us to describe a still more affecting scene, the joy this unfortunate couple testified when they had sufficiently recovered their senses at finding that they were both saved. The rebels being repulsed, as it had been stated above, left us a little repose. The moon lighted with her melancholy rays this disastrous raft, this narrow space on which were found united so many torturing anxieties, so many cruel misfortunes, a madness so insensate, a courage so heroic, and the most generous, the most amiable sentiments of nature and humanity. The man and wife, who had been but a little before stabbed with swords and bayonets, and thrown both together into a stormy sea, could scarcely credit their senses when they found themselves in one another's arms. The woman was a native of the Upper Alps, which place she had left twenty-four years before, and during which time she had followed the French armies and the campaigns in Italy and other places as a sutler. Therefore preserve my life, said she to M. Corriere. You see, I am a useful woman. Ah, if you knew how often I have ventured upon the field of battle and braved death to carry assistance to our gallant men. 
Whether they had money or not, I always let them have my goods. Sometimes a battle would deprive me of my poor debtors, but after the victory others would pay me double or triple for what they had consumed before the engagement. Thus I came in for a share of their victories. Unfortunate woman, she little knew what a horrible fate awaited her among us. They felt, they expressed so vividly that happiness which they alas so shortly enjoyed, that would have drawn tears from the most obdurate heart. But in that horrible moment, when we scarcely breathed from the most furious attack, when we were obliged to be continually on our guard, not only against the violence of the men, but a most boisterous sea, few among us had time to attend to scenes of conjugal affection. After this second check, the rage of the soldiers was suddenly appeased, and gave place to the most abject cowardice. Several threw themselves at our feet, and implored our pardon, which was instantly granted. Thinking that order was re-established, we returned to our station in the center of the raft, only taking the precaution of keeping our arms. We, however, had soon to prove the impossibility of counting on the permanence of any honest sentiment in the hearts of these beings. It was nearly midnight, and after an hour of apparent tranquility, the soldiers rose afresh. Their mind was entirely gone. They ran upon us in despair with knives and sabers in their hands. As they yet had all their physical strength, and besides were armed, we were obliged again to stand on our defense. Their revolt became still more dangerous, as in their delirium they were entirely deaf to the voice of reason. They attacked us, we charged them in our turn, and immediately the raft was strewed with their dead bodies. Those of our adversaries who had no weapons endeavored to tear us with their sharp teeth. Many of us were cruelly bitten. M. Savigny was torn on the legs and the shoulder. He also received a wound on the right arm, which deprived him the use of his fourth and little finger for a long while. Many others were wounded, and many cuts were found in our clothes from knives and sabers. One of our workmen was also seized by four of the rebels, who wished to throw him into the sea. One of them had laid hold of his right leg, and had bit most unmercifully the tendon above the heel. Others were striking him with great slashes of their sabers, and with the butt of their guns, when his cries made us hasten to his assistance. In this affair, the brave Lavalet, ex-sergeant of the foot artillery of the old guard, behaved with a courage worthy of the greatest praise. He rushed upon the infuriated beings in the manner of M. Corriere, and soon snatched the workman from the danger which menaced him. He rushed upon the infuriated beings in the manner of M. Corriere, and soon snatched the workman from the danger which menaced him. Some short while after, in a fresh attack of the rebels, Sub-Lieutenant Lozache fell into their hands. In their delirium, they had taken him for Lieutenant Danglas, of whom we had formerly spoken and who had abandoned the raft at the moment when we were quitting the frigate. The troop, to a man, eagerly sought this officer, who had seen little service, and whom they reproached for having used them ill during the time they garrisoned the Isle of Ray. We believed this officer lost, but hearing his voice, we soon found it still possible to save him. Immediately, Messrs. Claret, Savignet, Lehereux, Lavallet, Coden, Corriard, and some workmen formed themselves into small platoons, and rushed upon the insurgents with great impetuosity, overturning every one in their way, and retook M. Lozache and placed him on the center of the raft. The preservation of this officer cost us infinite difficulty. 
every moment the soldiers demanded he should be delivered to them designating him always by the name of danglas we endeavored to make them comprehend their mistake and told them that they themselves had seen the person for whom they sought return on board the frigate they were insensible to everything we said everything before them was danglas they saw him perpetually and furiously and unceasingly demanded his head it was only by force of arms we succeeded in repressing their rage and quieting their dreadful cries of death horrible night thou shrouded with thy gloomy veil these frightful combats over which presided the cruel demon of despair we had also to tremble for the life of m Kodin. wounded and fatigued by the attacks which he had sustained with us and in which he had shown a courage superior to everything he was resting himself on a barrel holding in his arms a young sailor boy of twelve years of age to whom he had attached himself the mutineers seized him with his barrel and threw him into the sea with the boy whom he still held fast in spite of his burden he had the presence of mind to lay hold of the raft and to save himself from this extreme peril we cannot yet comprehend how a handful of men should have been able to resist such a number so monstrously insane we are sure we were not more than twenty to combat all these madmen let it not however be imagined that in the midst of all these dangers we had preserved our reason entire fear anxiety and the most cruel privations had greatly changed our intellectual faculties but being somewhat less insane than the unfortunate soldiers we energetically opposed their determination of cutting the cords of the raft permit us now to make some observations concerning the different sensations with which we were affected during the first day m griffin entirely lost his senses he threw himself into the sea but m savigny saved him with his own hands his words were vague and unconnected a second time he threw himself in but by a sort of instinct kept hold of the cross pieces of the raft and was again saved the following is what m savigny experienced in the beginning of the night his eyes closed in spite of himself and he felt a general drowsiness in this condition the most delightful visions flitted across his imagination he saw around him a country covered with the most beautiful plantations and found himself in the midst of objects delightful to his senses nevertheless he reasoned concerning his condition and felt that courage alone could withdraw him from this species of non-existence he demanded some wine from master gunner who got it for him and he recovered a little from this stupor if the unfortunates who were assailed with these primary symptoms had not strength to withstand them their death was certain some became furious others threw themselves into the sea bidding farewell to their comrades with the utmost coolness some said fear nothing i am going to get you assistance and will return in a short while in the midst of this general madness some wretches were seen rushing upon their companions sword in hand demanding a wing of a chicken and some bread to appease the hunger which consumed them others asked for their hammocks to go they said between the decks of the frigate to take a little repose many believed they were still on the medusa surrounded by the same objects they there saw daily some saw ships and called to them for assistance or a fine harbor in the distance of which was an elegant city m Coriad thought he was traveling through the beautiful fields of italy an officer said to him i recollect we have been abandoned by the boats but fear nothing i am going to write to the governor and in a few hours we shall be saved 
M. Coriad replied in the same tone, as if he had been in his ordinary condition. Have you a pigeon to carry your orders with such celerity? The cries and the confusion soon roused us from this languor, but when tranquillity was somewhat restored, we again fell into the same drowsy condition. On the morrow we felt as if we had awoke from a painful dream, and asked our companions if during their sleep they had not seen combats and heard cries of despair. Some replied that the same visions had continually tormented them, and that they were exhausted with fatigue. Everyone believed he was deceived by the illusions of a horrible dream. After these different combats, overcome with toil, with want of food and sleep, we laid ourselves down in repose till the morrow dawned, and showed us the horror of the scene. A great number in their delirium had thrown themselves into the sea. We found that sixty or sixty-five had perished during the night. A fourth part, at least, we supposed, had drowned themselves in despair. We only lost two of our own numbers, neither of whom were officers. The deepest dejection was painted on every face. Each, having recovered himself, could now feel the horrors of his situation, and some of us, shedding tears of despair, bitterly deplored the rigor of our fate. A new misfortune was now revealed to us. During the tumult the rebels had thrown into the sea two barrels of wine, and the only two casts of water which we had upon the raft. Two casts of wine had been consumed the day before, and only one was left. We were more than sixty in number, and we were obliged to put ourselves on half rations. At the break of day, the sea calmed, which permitted us again to erect our mast. When it was replaced, we made a distribution of wine. The unhappy soldiers murmured and blamed us for privations which we equally endured with them. They fell exhausted. We had taken nothing for forty-eight hours, and we had been obliged to struggle continually against a strong sea. We could, like them, hardly support ourselves. Courage alone made us still act. We resolved to employ every possible means to catch fish, and, collecting all the hooks and eyes from the soldiers, made fish-hooks of them, but all was of no avail. The currents carried our lines under the raft, where they got entangled. We bent a bayonet to catch sharks. One bit at it, and straightened it, and we abandoned our project. Something was absolutely necessary to sustain our miserable existence, and we tremble with horror at being obliged to tell that of which we made use. We feel our pen fall from our hands, a mortal cold congeals all our members, and our hair bristles erect on our foreheads. Readers, we implore you, feel not indignant towards men already overloaded with misery. Pity their condition, and shed a tear of sorrow for their deplorable fate. The wretches, whom death had spared during the disastrous night we have described, seized upon the dead bodies with which the raft was covered, cutting them up by slices, which some even instantly devoured. Many nevertheless refrained. Almost all the officers were of this number. Seeing that this monstrous food had revived the strength of those who had used it, it was proposed to dry it to make it a little more palatable. Those who had firmness to abstain from it took an additional quantity of wine. We endeavored to eat shoulder belts and cartouche boxes, and contrived to swallow some small bits of them. Some eat linen, others the leathers of their hats, 
on which was a little grease, or rather dirt. We had recourse to many expedients to prolong our miserable existence, to recount which would only disgust the heart of humanity. The day was calm and beautiful. A ray of hope beamed for a moment to quiet our agitation. We still expected to see the boats or some ships, and addressed our prayers to the Eternal, on whom we placed our trust. The half of our men were extremely feeble, and bore upon their faces the stamp of approaching dissolution. The evening arrived, and we found no help. The darkness of the third night augmented our fears, but the wind was still and the sea less agitated. The sun of the fourth morning since our departure shone upon our disaster, and showed us ten or twelve of our companions stretched lifeless upon the raft. This sight struck us most forcibly, as it told us we would be soon extended in the same manner in the same place. We gave their bodies to the sea for a grave, reserving only one to feed those who, but the day before, had held his trembling hands, and sworn to him eternal friendship. This day was beautiful. Our souls, anxious for more delightful sensations, were in harmony with the aspect of the heavens, and got again a new ray of hope. Towards four in the afternoon, an unlooked-for event happened which gave us some consolation. A shoal of flying fish passed under our raft, and as there were an infinite number of openings between the pieces which composed it, the fish were entangled in great quantities. We threw ourselves upon them and captured a considerable number. We took about two hundred and put them in an empty barrel. We opened them as we caught them and took out what is called their milt. This food seemed delicious, but one man would have required a thousand. Our first emotion was to give to God renewed thanks for this unhoped-for favor. An ounce of gunpowder, having been found in the morning, was dried in the sun during the day, which was very fine. A steel, gunflints, and tinder made also a part of the same parcel. After a good deal of difficulty, we set fire to some fragments of dry linen. We made a large opening in the side of an empty cask and placed at the bottom of it several wet things. Upon this kind of scaffolding we set our fire, all of which we placed on a barrel that the seawater might not extinguish it. We cooked some fish and eat them with extreme avidity, but our hunger was such and our portion so small that we added to it some of the sacrilegious vines, which with the cooking rendered less revolting. This some of the officers touched for the first time. From this day we continued to eat it, but we could no longer dress it, the means of making a fire having been entirely lost. The barrel having caught fire, we extinguished it without being able to preserve anything to rekindle it on the morrow. The powder and tinder were entirely gone. This meal gave us all additional strength to support our fatigues. The night was tolerable, and would have been happy had it not been signalized by a new massacre. Some Spaniards, Italians, and Negroes had formed a plot to throw us all into the sea. The Negroes had told them that they were very near the shore, and that, when there, they would enable them to traverse Africa without danger. We had to take our arms again, the sailors, who had remained faithful to us, pointing out to us the conspirators. The first signal for battle was given by a Spaniard, who, placing himself behind the mast, holding fast by it, made the sign of the cross with one hand, invoking the name of God, and with the other held a knife. The sailors seized him and threw him into the sea. An Italian, servant to an officer of the troops, who was in the plot, 
seeing all was discovered, armed himself with the only boarding axe left on the raft, made his retreat to the front, enveloped himself in a piece of drapery he wore across his breast, and of his own accord threw himself into the sea. The rebels rushed forward to avenge their comrades. A terrible conflict again commenced. Both sides fought with desperate fury, and soon the fatal raft was strewed with dead bodies and blood, which should have been shed by other hands, and in another cause. In this tumult we heard them again demanding, with horrid rage, the head of Lieutenant Danglas. In this assault the unfortunate sutler was a second time thrown into the sea. M. Cudin, assisted by some workmen, saved her, to prolong for a little while her torment and her existence. In this terrible night, Lavallee failed not to give proofs of the rarest intrepidity. It was to him, and some of those who had survived the sequel of our misfortunes, that we owed our safety. At last, after unheard-of efforts, the rebels were once more repulsed and quiet restored. Having escaped this new danger, we endeavored to get some repose. The day at length dawned upon us for the fifth time. We were now no more than thirty in number. We had lost four or five of our faithful sailors, and those who survived were in the most deplorable condition. The seawater had almost entirely excoriated the skin of our lower extremities. We were covered with contusions or wounds, which, irritated by the salt water, extorted from us the most piercing cries. About twenty of us only were capable of standing upright or walking. Almost all our fish were exhausted. We had but four days' supply of wine. In four days, said we, nothing will be left, and death will be inevitable. Thus came the seventh day of our abandonment. In the course of the day, two soldiers had glided behind the only barrel of wine that was left, pierced it, and were drinking by means of a reed. We had sworn that those who used such means should be punished with death, which law was instantly put in execution, and the two transgressors were thrown into the sea. This day saw the close of the life of a child named Leon, aged twelve years. He died like a lamp which ceases to burn for want of aliment. All spoke in favor of this young and amiable creature, who merited a better fate. His angelic form, his musical voice, the interest of an age so tender increased still more by the courage he had shown, and the services he had performed, for he had already made in the preceding year a campaign in the East Indies, inspired us all with the greatest pity for this young victim, devoted to so horrible and premature a death. Our old soldiers and all our people in general did everything they could to prolong his existence, but all was in vain. Neither the wine which they gave him without regret, nor all the means they employed could arrest his melancholy doom, and he expired in the arms of M. Coudin, who had not ceased to give him the most unwearied attention. Whilst he had strength to move, he ran incessantly from one side to the other, loudly calling for his unhappy mother for water and food. He trod indiscriminately on the feet and legs of his companions in misfortune, who, in their turn, uttered sorrowful cries, but these were very rarely accompanied with menaces. They pardoned all which the poor boy had made them suffer. He was not in his senses, consequently could not be expected to behave as if he had had the use of his reason. There now remained but twenty-seven of us. Fifteen of that number seemed able to live yet some days. The rest, covered with large wounds, had almost entirely lost the use of their reason. 
They still, however, shared in the distributions, and would, before they died, consume to thirty or forty bottles of wine, which to us were inestimable. We deliberated that by putting the sick on half allowance was but putting them to death by halves. But after a council, at which presided the most dreadful despair, it was decided they should be thrown into the sea. This means, however repugnant, however horrible it appeared to us, procured the survivors six days' wine. But after the decision was made, who durst execute it? The habit of seeing death ready to devour us, the certainty of our infallible destruction without this monstrous expedient, all, in short, had hardened our hearts to every feeling but that of self-preservation. Three sailors and a soldier took charge of this cruel business. We looked aside and shed tears of blood at the fate of these unfortunates. Among them were the wretched sutler and her husband. Both had been grievously wounded in the different combats. The woman had a thigh broken between the beams of the raft, and a stroke of the saber had made a deep wound in the head of her husband. Everything announced their approaching end. We consoled ourselves with the belief that our cruel resolution shortened but a brief space the term of their existence. Ye who shudder at the cry of outraged humanity, recollect that it was other men, fellow countrymen, comrades who had placed us in this awful situation. This horrible expedient saved the fifteen who remained, for when we were found by the Argus brig we had very little wine left, and it was the sixth day after the cruel sacrifice we have described. The victims, we repeat, had not more than forty-eight hours to live, and by keeping them on the raft we would have been absolutely destitute of the means of existence two days before we were found. Weak as we were, we considered it as a certain thing that it would have been impossible for us to have lived only twenty-four hours more without taking some food. After this catastrophe we threw our arms into the sea. They inspired us with a horror we could not overcome. We only kept one saber in case we had to cut some cordage or some piece of wood. A new event, for everything was an event to wretches to whom the world was reduced to the narrow space of a few toises, and for whom the winds and waves contended in their fury as they floated above the abyss. An event happened which diverted our minds from the horrors of our situation. All on a sudden a white butterfly, of a species common in France, came fluttering above our heads, and settled on our sails. The first thought this little creature suggested was that it was a harbinger of approaching land, and we clung to the hope with a delirium of joy. It was the ninth day we had been upon the raft. The torments of hunger consumed our entrails, and the soldiers and sailors already devoured with haggard eyes this wretched prey, and seemed ready to dispute about it. Others, looking upon it as a messenger from heaven, declared that they took it under their protection, and would suffer none to do it harm. It is certain we could not be far from land, for the butterflies continued to come on the following days, and flutter about our sail. We had also on the same day another indication not less positive, by a garland which floated around our raft. This second visitor left us no doubt that we were fast approaching the African soil, and we persuaded ourselves we would be speedily thrown upon the coast by the force of the currents. This same day a new care employed us. Seeing we were reduced to so small a number, we collected all the little strength we had left, detached some planks on the front of the raft, and with some pretty long pieces of wood, raised on the center a kind of platform 
on which we reposed. All the effects we could collect were placed upon it, and rendered to make it less hard, which also prevented the sea from passing with such facility through the spaces between the different planks, but the waves came across, and sometimes covered us completely. On this new theatre we resolved to meet death in a manner becoming Frenchmen, and with perfect resignation. Our time was almost wholly spent in speaking of our unhappy country. All our wishes, our last prayers, were for the prosperity of France. Thus passed the last days of our abode upon the raft. Soon after our abandonment, we bore with comparative ease the immersions during the night, which are very cold in these countries, but laterally, every time the waves washed over us, we felt a most painful sensation, and we uttered plaintive cries. We employed every means to avoid it. Some supported their heads on pieces of wood, and made with what they could find a sort of little parapet to screen them from the force of the waves. Others sheltered themselves behind two empty casks. But these means were very insufficient. It was only when the sea was calm that it did not break over us. An ardent thirst, redoubled in the day by the beams of a burning sun, consumed us. An officer of the army found by chance a small lemon, and it may be easily imagined how valuable such a fruit would be to him. His comrades, in spite of the most urgent entreaties, could not get a bit of it from him. Signs of rage were already manifested, and he had not partly listened to the solicitations of those around him. They would have taken it by force, and he would have perished the victim of his selfishness. We also disputed about thirty cloves of garlic, which were found in the bottom of a sack. These disputes were for the most part accompanied with violent menaces, and if they had been prolonged we might perhaps have come to the last extremities. There was found also two small files, in which was found a spirituous liquid for cleaning the teeth. He who possessed them kept them with care, and gave with reluctance one or two drops in the palm of the hand. This liquor which, we think, was a tincture of guiacom, cinnamon, cloves, and other aromatic substances, produced on our tongues an agreeable feeling, and for a short while removed the thirst which destroyed us. Some of us found small pieces of powder which made, when put into the mouth, a kind of coolness. One plan generally employed was to put into a hat a quantity of seawater with which we washed our faces for a while, repeating it at intervals. We also bathed our hair and held our hands in the water. Misfortune made us ingenious, and each thought of a thousand means to alleviate his sufferings. Emaciated by the most cruel privations, the least agreeable feeling was to us a happiness supreme. Thus we sought with avidity a small empty phial which one of us possessed, and in which had once been some essence of roses, and every one, as he got hold of it, respired with delight the odor it exhaled, which imparted to his senses the most soothing impressions. Many of us kept our ration of wine in a small tin cup, and sucked it out with a quill. This manner of taking it was of great benefit to us, and allayed our thirst much better than if we had gulped it off at once." Three days passed in inexpressible anguish. So much did we despise life that many of us feared not to bathe in the sight of the sharks which surrounded our raft. Others placed themselves naked upon the front of our machine, which was under water. These expedients diminished a little ardor of their thirst. A species of mollusca, known to seamen by the name of gatier, 
were sometimes driven in great numbers on our raft, and when their long arms rested on our naked bodies, they occasioned us the most cruel sufferings. Will it be believed that amidst these terrible scenes, struggling with inevitable death, some of us uttered pleasantries which made us yet smile, in spite of the horrors of our situation? One besides others said jestingly, If the brig is sent to search us, pray God it has the eyes of Argus in allusion to the name of the vessel we presumed would be sent to our assistance. This consolatory idea never left us an instant, and we spoke of it frequently. On the sixteenth, reckoning we were very near land, eight of the most determined among us resolved to endeavor to gain the coast. A second raft of smaller dimensions was formed for transporting them thither, but it was found insufficient, and they at length determined to await death in their present situation. Meanwhile night came on, and its sombre veil revived in our minds the most afflicting thoughts. We were convinced there were not above a dozen or fifteen bottles of wine in our barrel. We began to have an invincible disgust at the flesh which had till then scarcely supported us, and we may say that the sight of it inspired us with feelings of horror, doubtless produced by the idea of our approaching destruction. On the morning of the seventeenth the sun appeared free from clouds. After having addressed our prayers to the Eternal, we divided among us a part of our wine. Each, with delight, was taking his small portion, when a captain of infantry, casting his eyes on the horizon, perceived a ship, announced it to us by an exclamation of joy. We knew it to be a brig, but it was at a great distance we could distinguish the masts. The sight of this vessel revived in us emotions difficult to describe. Each believed his deliverance sure, and we gave a thousand thanks to God. Fears, however, mingled with our hopes. We straightened some hoops of casks, to the ends of which we fixed handkerchiefs of different colors. A man, with our united assistance, mounted to the top of the mast and waved these little flags. For more than half an hour we were tossed between hope and fear. Some thought the vessel grew larger, and others were convinced its course was from us. These last were the only ones whose eyes were not blinded by hope, for the ship disappeared. From the delirium of joy we passed to that of despondency and sorrow. We envied the fate of those whom we had seen perish at our sides, and we said to ourselves, When we shall be in want of everything, and when our strength begins to forsake us, we will wrap ourselves up as well as we can, we will stretch ourselves on this platform, the witness of the most cruel sufferings, and there await death with resignation. At length, to calm our despair, we sought for consolation in the arm of sleep. The day before, we had been scorched by the beams of a burning sun. Today, to avoid the fierceness of his rays, we made a tent with the mainsail of the frigate. As soon as it was finished, we laid ourselves under it. Thus all that was passing without was hid from our eyes. We proposed then to write upon a plank an abridgment of our adventures, and to add our names at the bottom of the recital, and fix it to the upper part of the mast, in the hope it would reach the government and our families. After having passed two hours, a prey to the most cruel reflections, the master gunner of the frigate, wishing to go to the front of the raft, went out from below the tent. Scarcely had he put out his head when he turned to us, uttering a piercing cry. Joy was painted on his face. His hands were stretched towards the sea. He breathed with difficulty. All he was able to say was, Saved! See the brig upon us! And in fact, it was not more than half a league distant, having every sail set 
and steering right upon us. We rushed from our tent, even those whom enormous wounds in their inferior extremities had confined for many days, dragged themselves to the back of the raft, to enjoy a sight of the ship which had come to save us from certain death. We embraced one another with a transport which looked much like madness, and tears of joy trickled down our cheeks, withered by the most cruel privations. Each seized handkerchiefs or some pieces of linen to make signals to the brig, which was rapidly approaching us. Some fell on their knees, and fervently returned thanks to Providence for this miraculous preservation of our lives. Our joy redoubled when we saw at the top of the foremast a large white flag, and we cried, It is then to Frenchmen we will owe our deliverance. We instantly recognized the brig to be the Argus. It was then about two gunshots from us. We were terribly impatient to see her reef her sails, which at last she did, and fresh cries of joy arose from our raft. The Argus came and laid to on our starboard, about half a pistol shot from us. The crew, ranged upon the deck and on the shrouds, announced to us, by the waving of their hands and hats, the pleasure they felt at coming to the assistance of their unfortunate countrymen. In a short time we were all transported on board the brig, where we found the lieutenant of the frigate, and some others who had been wrecked with us. Compassion was painted on every face, and pity drew tears from every eye which beheld us. We found some excellent broth on board the brig, which they had prepared, and when they had perceived us, they added to it some wine, and thus restored our nearly exhausted strength. They bestowed on us the most generous care and attention, our wounds were dressed, and on the morrow many of our sick began to revive. Some, however, still suffered much, for they were placed between decks, very near the kitchen, which augmented the almost insupportable heat of these latitudes. This want of space arose from the small size of the vessel. The number of the shipwrecked was indeed very considerable. Those who do not belong to the navy were laid upon cables, wrapped in flags, and placed under the fire of the kitchen. Here they had almost perished during the course of the night, fire having broken out between decks about ten in the evening. But timely assistance being rendered, we were saved for the second time. We had scarcely escaped when some of us became again delirious. An officer of infantry wished to throw himself into the sea to look for his pocket-book, and would have done it had he not been prevented. Others were seized in a manner not less frenzied. The commander and officers of the brig watched over us, and kindly anticipated our wants. They snatched us from death by saving us from our raft. Their unremitting care revived within us the spark of life. The surgeon of the ship, M. Renaud distinguished himself for his indefatigable zeal. He was obliged to spend the whole of the day in dressing our wounds, and during the two days we were in the brig he bestowed on us all the aid of his art, with an attention and gentleness which merit our eternal gratitude. In truth, it was time we should find an end of our sufferings. They had lasted thirteen days in the most cruel manner. The strongest among us might have lived forty-eight hours or so longer. M. Coriad felt that he must die in the course of the day. He had, however, a presentiment we would be saved. He said that a series of events so unheard of would not be buried in oblivion, that Providence would at least preserve some of us to tell the, to the world the melancholy story of our misfortunes. Such is the faithful history of those who were left upon the memorable raft. Of one hundred and fifty, fifteen only were saved. Five of that number never recovered from their fatigue and died at St. Louis.
those who yet live are covered with scars and the cruel sufferings to which they have been exposed have materially shaken their constitutions end of chapter fifteen